Welcome to Freedom Slave Podcast, where fempreneurs, side hustlers, and entrepreneurs come to fast track their success. If you're a millennial girl boss, listen, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the goods, because every week you're going to get the tools that you need to slay your business goals to create a life of time and financial freedom. I'm Ganette Jones, your host and Freedom Slayer in charge here. Let's begin. Welcome to episode 45 of the Freedom Slay podcast. If you've ever wanted to create a real community within your business, this episode's going to be for you. If you've ever wanted to curate dope events that pulled people together, this is also for you. If you're in an industry that's filled with people that don't look or sound like you, and you're bringing something new to the table, this episode's for you as well. If you simply want to learn from another amazing black businesswoman slaying this whole freedom thing, this episode's for you too. Today's guest is Tahira Habibi, a celebrated sommelier and founder of the Hue Society. The Hue Society's mission is to curate a community that facilitates education and economic access to wine through culturally relevant experiences. Tahira has blessed the Essence Festival and Tina Knowles Wearable Art Gala and has been featured all over the place from Exo Nicole to Ocean Drive Magazine. In this episode, we'll be chatting with her all about how she created and monetized her community-focused business, the work involved in carrying out these events, and lessons learned along the way. Okay, so I think you have a pretty good understanding of who she is and what she does, but she's going to dive into that a lot more in the episode, along with many gems. So let's dive in. Hello, hello, Tahira. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and how you got started? Sure, sure. Well, like you said, my name is Tahera Habibi. I am a sommelier. I've been working as a som, well, in the wine profession, really, for about 12 years. I've been studying it. I got my first real big som job at at the St. Regis. I opened the St. Regis in Miami, and I've kind of just been going upward from there. I I work for myself now, so I I started a company called Hue Society to more so focus my skills on the community, on the Black community, making sure that we are educated and we have access to the same benefits of wine in the wine world that everyone else does. Awesome. Now, to pronounce that again, because I know some people are like, is this some Allier, some Allier. Let them know <laughs> how you pronounce it. And for those who aren't familiar, what does that mean? A sommelier is, it's a French word. So it looks like Somalian. Some people say that, but it's sommelier. And it's, it's really translates into wine steward. So basically a, a wine expert, a person who creates wine lists, makes wine suggestions, does pairing, you know, just has an overall working knowledge of wine and the intricacies, the way it's made, the chemical processes, all of that. those nerdy things that <laughs> people don't care about. <laughs> no, that's interesting though. I don't even drink but I'm interested in that kind of stuff. And I did not know, they. I knew what you did, but I did not know that it actually translated to wine steward. So that's some interesting learning right there. So thank you mm-hmm. for teaching me that. <laughs> <laughs> so were you always like, I know you said you opened the St. Regis in Miami major, right? Mm. So were you always into like wine? Were you interested in wine and you knew this was the path you wanted to go in or... Was it something else you were focusing on first? And then you're like, no, 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 this is, this is where it's at. This is what I'm passionate about. Well, I went to Penn State University. So it's a very Caucasian school, <laughs> to say the least. And so I kind of got into wine at 
at that point during my last year because I was in a lot of leadership positions there. And so during that time, you know, what they served was like a white and a red wine. And I'm from North Philly. I did not grow up with wine. I did not grow up in a household surrounded by it or even a community or, you know, in that environment. So I had to learn how to conduct myself with it, you know, because we always are aware that people are watching us and our reactions to things. We kind of carry the whole community on our back, right? And so I'm, I'm all, I've always been aware of that. And so I knew if I acted a fool and, you know, made these faces and <laughs> just like completely unsophisticated, that it would just be like, see, this is why. <laughs> and so... <laughs> So, you know, I kind of got into it from that point because I I saw, and especially like back when I went to college, you know, it was a different world, definitely in the wine space, not so different, but definitely people judged you by that a lot. And so I recognized it very quickly and I was very intrigued by the power of it. And so I, I definitely started brushing up on it from there. And when I graduated, I ended up working in event planning, which I've always loved. And I still obviously do event planning, but I was so uh, intrigued by this wine thing because nobody else around me was doing it. And I was just like, so curious, like, why is this such a powerful thing? And nobody that I know is into it. I've never seen like black people like into wine and definitely not in my neighborhood. And so I really saw an opportunity to empower myself and, and in turn empower my community because effectively it's the, the the old saying, you can't be what you can't see, right? So I got exposed to it. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to expose everybody else to it. <laughs> everybody I can, you know, get in contact with. And I ended up working at a restaurant and the wine director there was a woman And I contacted her because I was amazed by that because I had only ever seen white male figures in the space. And she ended up working it out where she paid for my wine classes. So I was working during the day and taking wine classes at night and until I I graduated and then I moved to Miami. Interesting. And what were you studying before you started to do this? So when you graduated, what, what was your degree? My degree was in communications. It was specifically broadcast journalism. I was like, yeah, I really (laughs) wanted to be on TV and all of that stuff. And this was like right around the time when tabloid started getting like out of control. And that's that privacy space was just shrinking and shrinking. I was like, I don't really care what these people do with their private life. I'm not going on TV talking about this. (laughs) So, you know, I always wanted to do like more like a talk show host or something like that. But it was just like, you know, like Wendy Williams was popular I mean, she still is, but this is like when they were like really blowing up. And uh, I was like, yeah, I, I, I this is I'm violating. Like, I, I just don't want to do this. <laughs> but it's a good thing to do so that you have exposure to what that side of the world looks like. So even with your business now, it's giving you the opportunity to know how you can network, communicate and get your business out there to the masses via mm-hmm. media. So that's it's still really great and a great connector. So I know mm-hmm. you're on a mission like you've mentioned to break cultural boundaries really and stigmas in the wine industry in hopes of creating this space for wine lovers in the black community because i know that while there may not be many sommeliers out there there are still many people many black people who love wine so i mm-hmm. know that's what you're doing so have you had any challenges starting this because i know some people may think it's a niche industry you know when people hear the word black it's it's triggering right and so 
you automatically think that that's excluding you. And that that's not, when I started Hue Society, that wasn't what it was about. It was about creating a collective space for us to be able to commune in a non-judgmental, but through relative experiences. And so my mentor, you know, the guy who really like taught me a lot of what I know about wine outside of reading books. So you can read books there, you know, and take these tests and all that stuff. But the real learning and experience comes from hands-on knowledge and training and all that stuff. And he's a little French guy. He's very thick French accent and all that stuff. And when I, I told him my idea and he was like, I wouldn't support that. I'm not going to support something that is like all black and, and, and excluding other people. Or, you know, if, if we said all white, I said, this is all white. Show, tell me a black person that you know in this space. And he's like, oh. And I was like, and it's not a negative thing. And so it's kind of always been that conversation. Like it starts with that, like, okay, this is not about excluding anybody. The same thing we have to explain over and over and over again, whenever we show love to our community or ourselves or whatever, people think that you're excluding them or it's about them. And it's like, that's not what this is. You guys have this space already. And so because we were so few and far in between in the earlier days, it was difficult because I had only known one or two Black winemakers. I had met a ton of Black people who were in the space. Now, you know, I know a plethora of Black people who are studying wine or who have certifications and all that stuff. And I think that that's amazing. And I also am a specialist in Black wine brand. So I know of all of them as well now. But in the beginning, it's definitely difficult. And I mean, like in the beginning of my career and then also you know starting Hue Society it's it's kind of tough to get people on board with it because it's like well why do you need this and it's like that's exactly my point (laughs) if you don't if you can't look around and see why this is needed then Mm-hmm. you know this that's the, that's the point and why it's needed in one space because there are that we are out there but we don't know because everybody's you know kind of doing their own thing and everybody's like spread out so where we need one place where we can all commune and you know there's power behind that versus you know there's one black person in Wichita who is a wine expert or who has a brand there's one black person in Boston there's another black person you know it's just like where where can you go to get all the information information that you need on black brands on black consumers you know the whole nine where 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 does that space exist and we needed that so I was very adamant about making making that happen and also just making sure that we were doing it through our own experiences like that was definitely a big thing for me I don't feel like you know my tagline is assimilation not required like we don't need to assimilate into this world the way that everybody else has done it in order to learn or to enjoy wine you know, we can do it through things that we are interested in and that we create, really. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because, well, not funny at all, but it's really, (laughs) it's really frustrating, I guess, when someone the reality is when someone is counted for, when they're accounted for, they don't notice the disconnect, right? And mm-hmm. it's just like when there are diversity panels and everyone on the diversity panel looks alike and it may be, you know, they throw one woman on there and think they've done their job. And it's mm-hmm. like, hold up, where's the Blacks? Where's the Asians? Where's the Latinas? Like, that's not a diverse panel at all. You have four white male and one white woman. And it's not a matter, I get you completely when you say it's not a matter of excluding anyone, but it's ensuring that there is a space 
for us mm-hmm. because there hasn't been a space all this time. So I get it completely. So what type of work is involved in carrying out your events for Hugh Society? Oh, <laughs> that's, that's work. A lot. Uh, well, you know, because I don't, I don't, I don't do half-ass events. My, I, I like, I'm very creative. And so I, I try to bring things to life. And sometimes that's a, a bigger feat than it, you know, in my head, it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this, this, or the other, and bring it into life is that always as easy and you know in the events that I've done I've done some smaller events but the major events that I've done have been at Essence the festival and that they're they're major productions like they're they're pretty big like this last one and the one that got canceled this year oh man this is going to be so good and it takes you know I start planning the year before so you know it, it really takes me a year to plan out Essence and to get you know, I try to bring in all the black winemakers from around the country and all of that stuff. And so there are a lot of like moving parts to this whole thing. And it's, it's pretty, it's pretty involved. Mm-hmm. And with an event business, I'm sure COVID-19 has had its toll on your business as well. Oh yeah. My, my whole year just done. Like, done. Just, <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, this is because the, the crazy thing is I really had a crazy year coming up. Like I was traveling every weekend from March until probably September, maybe. And then, you know, it slows down a little bit, but every weekend almost I was like gone, you know, or, or traveling, doing events, stuff like that. And now it's just like, oh, okay, well. <laughs> <laughs> and is that travel, is the travel all within the U.S. or is it other parts of the world as well? It's mostly, it was mostly in the U.S. for this year. I was going to go to Italy, but that was, it was for an event, but it was more so to check out some wine stuff. So it wasn't necessarily an event I was putting on. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of my events this year were definitely in the U.S. But, you know, I was doing, we didn't, I had Essence. I was doing the Wearable Arts Gala again with Tina Knowles and Aspen food and wine the last event I actually did was Charleston food and wine and that's literally it ended I came home that Sunday and everything got shut down like that Monday or Tuesday (laughs) crazy yeah so with like you said you've done it for Essence before you were planning a huge one before right for this year you have worked with Tina Knowles's group for the wearable art gala did you use like a PR agent for this or are you using your media background to network with individuals to get this how are they finding you and coming to you to host these events I think that over the years I've built a great connection with a lot of people and because what I do is so rare you know when people are seeking it out they usually can find me so a lot of people do come to me I do have a PR agent now with Lindsay and and Walker Associates but a lot of that stuff had come or or, or, you know was already in the works and people reach out to me all the time you know for interviews or opportunities you know event opportunities and all that kind of stuff and there are times when you know if it's something that I want I like go after it. So I was like, hey, you know, I'm really aiming for Rock Nation brunch brunch next year. And so listen, I'm, I'm, I'm I hope you I'm get going it. After it. Go <laughs> after it, girl. Get it. <laughs> get it, girl. <laughs> That's exciting. And you said you're working with Lindsay. So for those of you who are listening, Lindsay Walker is on episode 40 of the podcast. That's her PR manager. So make sure you check that episode out. Mm-hmm. She's talking all things PR and exposure. So that's interesting. And girl, I don't doubt that you're going to get this, the Rock Nation thing, because like you said, people can find you because what you're doing is so unique 
in this industry for the culture. It's not something that many Blacks are doing. And because of that, you're easily able to be found. And that's the beauty of not being afraid to exclude or create a niche kind of product, because that means when someone's looking for something particular, they can find you. So I love that. I know that building community requires a different level of skill. You aren't, you know, selling a product or service, you're selling an experience. So how would you say that you go about doing this successfully? Like, how does it differ? I stay true to my people, but I don't try to make it make wine foo-foo. I try to, and I don't try to dumb it down. I try to make it an experience where you're learning while simultaneously enjoying yourself. So my events are aesthetically beautiful. They, you know, they have hip hop music playing in the back or, you know, whatever the latest song is that we're bopping to Mm -hmm. or food. It's, it's not something that I'm tweaking to assimilate into what I think would be acceptable. I'm more so making the experience acceptable for us. So I'm not, I don't really worry about other people or other cultures or, you know, fitting in. I definitely keep everything as Black influenced as possible. I love it. You know, and without being too hood or too, too, too bougie, you know, I just keep it right. I'm very authentic with it. Like if you're hood, and I'm from the hood. So, you know, I have that skill set. I'm able to communicate that way. And, you know, I've always had my entire career has been in luxury brands. So, you know, I can communicate that way. So I combine them and I know how to combine them so that it's a great experience and nobody feels like to shut out. I love it because what's that, what that tells me is that you are very aware who your audience is, right? And you're creating a comfortable experience for that audience. You're not trying to make yourself or them act any way that they wouldn't normally act or something they wouldn't do, you know, doing something they wouldn't do. You're very aware who your audience is. And because of that, they're attracted to you and your brand. So love that. So how do you monetize the business? Like, are these events paid or, you know, do they get sponsored? How does it work? Uh, It's a little bit of both. I try to make sure that I am, I don't like free events because I think people take free events for granted. And the amount of work that I put into my events, you're not going to be like, oh, get a free ticket and be like, oh, well, forget it. I'm, I'm, you know, I got something better to do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, you know, so I, I don't like free events for that reason. I think that we should expect more of each other, but I don't try to oversell an event, you know, make it incredibly pricey. I try to keep the price at a good rate by through sponsorship and all of that kind of stuff and making sure I'm, I'm building up those partnerships through my connections and people who want that base. There are a ton of people who want that black influence. They want that black base. They want to get their products in front of black people because we influence everything. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have an incredible amount of spending power, but what I'm not ever going to do is allow a company or somebody to come in to just pander and, you know, mm-hmm. you just want to come in and say, Hey, this is for this day. Like, no, if, if you come and you, and I see that you have done no work in a black community, you have added no value to the black community and you have not even been thinking about it prior to wanting to sell and take the black dollar. I'm good. And mm-hmm. that's just all the way around. If the case is that you haven't, but you want to get into it, then yeah, we can put some programming together that will go on beyond my event. So, you know, you, some kind of internship, some type of scholarship, some type of something that is going to add value back into the community that you are taking from. Mm-hmm. I love 
the level of integrity that surrounds your business as well. That tells me that you're in it for the right reasons too. It's not like, oh, let me see how I can make money off of this wine thing. It's like, no, I'm going to create an amazing, amazing experience. And at the same time, I'm going to uplift those around me yes. too. So that's, that's dope. What lessons have you learned along the way? Like from any mistakes that have happened over the course of the events? Like what are the biggest lessons you've learned? We'll be back after a quick break. Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host, Matt Heslin, brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. Oh, uh, underestimating crowds sometimes. <laughs> I, you I, uh, mean crowd size or like? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, when I when I first first started doing wine events for the community, it was under another company. It was called Sipping Socials, and um, that was my first company. You know, doing doing this whole thing, and I had um, an event in Miami. It's called the Wine and Reggae Festival, and the Facebook page was and this is when Facebook used to tell you like how many people are interested. I don't know if it still does that. I don't really do events through Facebook pages anymore, but um, listen, I can't tell you the last time I've gone on Facebook like for reals <laughs> to play around. Like who uses that still? Anyway, go ahead. Right. And so the thing was like at six thousand people. And I was like, it is no way six thousand people are gonna come to this thing. And it was like I said, a wine and reggae festival. I should have known. And if you um, listen, you're mixing like, wine and reggae. Right. Of course they're coming. <laughs> oh, man. Like 3,000 people showed up and the venue could only really hold 1,000. And I was like, okay, well, there's a lesson. Because I was really like, there's no way all these people, you know, you just think people are like BS. You start taking percentages like, all right, like maybe 10% is like something. But yeah, a lot of people showed up. So that was definitely a lesson. And, and did really, you run up? Did you run out of wine or something then? The bar ran out of everything, like down to club soda. The, the oh line was so long. It, everybody didn't get in, obviously. Like, the line was, like, <laughs> it's like, around the corner. It was so, it wasn't bad, but, I mean, it was bad. Like, the management of it was, and I was by myself. So, you know, I had, like, three people that I had was working with, but for the most part, I didn't have enough security. You know, I just underestimated the entire thing. Mm. But it also, you know, I learned that I had, I'm on to something because that was my first big event. And I was like, okay, I'm on to something here. I, I definitely am doing the right thing. I'm in the right direction. And there's some people that are pissed off with me right now, but that's okay. We'll keep moving and <laughs> you know, hopefully they'll forgive me later. But, you, you know, I try to see man about it. Yeah. yeah, it shows demand. And I mean, I would expect the same thing because usually 
when you have any event like that where it's like a Facebook, right? It's not like where you're asking for a real RSVPs back or something like that. So for Facebook, you're expecting like at max 15%. So I understand why you're like, no way yeah. are all yeah. of you guys showing up. <laughs> so I get it. But yeah, yeah, that's an important lesson because now that's moved you from Facebook onto other ways. So how are you doing it now? How are you managing your lists? Your guests? I definitely do Eventbrite or like something like that and Instagram. So with that, I let people pay at the door. I don't really do that anymore either. Mm-hmm. And that was that was the other thing. Like the tickets were only $5 to get in. So it was just like, it was madness. Wine um, and reggae and $5 to get in. But they did have to pay for their own drinks then once they got in for that yeah, one, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. So they could okay. buy drink tickets. But, um, but, you know, it was just a lot of things in there that I, I don't really do anymore just because they don't work with the type of events that I want to do. So I, I tried to do like event management systems prior to the event, obviously, and just making sure that, you know, if people pay for the ticket, they're more likely to show up versus, mm-hmm. oh, you can do this. Yeah. And so you've raised the price. You've stopped allowing people to pay at the door. Like you've changed a lot of things. Use an event, right? Which is smart. Basically what you're doing is all the things that you've learned along the way, you're using those lessons, right? That a lot of people may look at as a failure, let's say, or a mistake. You're saying that no, that's a lesson that shows me that people are interested. And what I got from that is there's more people interested in this than I thought. I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to switch up these couple things that didn't work to make it even better. And that is seriously the fundamentals of an entrepreneur. You see the opportunity, you also see where it can be improved. So that's excellent. Right. And I know you've been featured in like Ocean Drive Magazine as one of the top female. Now, listen, let me make sure I'm pronouncing it right. Samayas, right? Um, In Southern Southern Florida, along with being featured in like Axo Nicole and other notable places. Have you noticed any of these things? Have they helped people discover you? And I mean, how did you manage to get in those places? Was it the same where you're reaching out to them and some of them are like Googling you or finding you out through other people? Well, Ocean Drive was very, very early in my career career and they yeah, they found me amazing. I was still working at the St. Regis at the time, transitioning to one of the more infamous restaurants in the city, Michael's Genuine. And but yeah, they found me. Exo Nicole was actually the result of an event and one of my essence events, the Black Wine Experience. And yeah, a lot of a lot of interviews that I get have been organic. Uh, mm-hmm. Lindsay, you know, does great PR. She she does work for me, but she's she's relatively new to my team. So a lot of that stuff was really organic. I've never really reached out to anybody for an interview. <laughs> I don't think I ever thought to do that. So yeah. Okay, that's awesome. And have you found that getting these like this press and these interviews and things like that, have they helped you book more business? I think so. I think that people are really intrigued by just, you know, Black Samayas and especially Black female Samayas. And I, I think that especially with me, you know, with my focus on Black brands, it definitely helps. And I think that it helps push the community narrative more than anything. And, you know, and when I have events, people are definitely uh, interested in coming because they heard it on a podcast or they read an interview. But I think the most touching thing to me is, you know, I have these younger 
Psalms or, you know, not necessarily age wise, but who are just coming into the business or been in the business for two or three years. And they'll, they'll come and say, Hey, you know, I read about you and this and this and this. Thank you. That is my story. Or I, I read your interview and this and thank you. Like I'm so motivated. I'm so inspired. And I, you know, I want to keep going or I was really having a difficult time trying to go through this by myself, feeling like I was the only one. And then I saw you or when I wanted to get into the wine industry, you know, I was Googling and a, your name came up like, those things are so amazing because that is the point, right? You you bring your gifts back to the community and you help everybody flourish. So yes, that's awesome. At the end of the day, that's what we all do it for, right? We do it to create that ripple effect where people can see what it is that we're doing and either see themselves in it or whether it be their current circumstances or see somewhere where they want to be, where it's like, okay, you're inspiring me to do more or to follow my path because I see you doing it. So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So what advice would you have for someone who's trying to build community, whether it's like as a business similar to yours, where they're trying to create events of some sort, not like yours, but creating events, or whether it's within their current business, whether they have like a telecoms company or whatever, what advice do you have? Like, how can you create that business? Because do you have like an email list of individuals that you know are interested in this type of event that you always send out to? I think people love authenticity. That's how you you reach people. And mm-hmm. It, it, and, and if you're trying to build a business, you have to offer value. And that's the that's the most important thing is offering value. Yes. Regardless of where you fit into that space, everybody's trying to sell somebody something. Everybody's trying to, you know, everybody's grabbing for dollars. But adding value to people is what they'll remember. Like, it's how you make them feel. And even if you are trying to build your base, you're trying to build up a huge community, that's great. But what are you giving back to that community in exchange? Because for me, time is the most important thing that a person has. And if people are willing to give you the time of day, you need to be offering them some value in exchange for that. I love that. Because I mean, I preach to, I'm blue in the face about providing value as a first source, like mm-hmm. before you even worry about the money, you have to figure out what are you doing to solve somebody's problem? What are you doing to, you know, mm-hmm. bring that value to them? So I love that you're saying it. So then it's not just me, me talking to everyone every <laughs> week on this podcast about adding value, but that shows just how important it is. And that's what separates you from others who may even try to do something similar. They can't take what you have because you're bringing a ridiculous amount of value and you're doing it authentically. So I love that. And you do collect email addresses to continue to share this information though, right? Or is it like phone numbers? How do you reach out to the audience? Okay. Yeah. So, Um, you know, I haven't, so my website is under construction right now because it's, I have some like major, major things coming in the next couple of months and people are just going to like, oh, wow, but it's exciting. So, you know, the website is under construction, but I have something up there that is just a landing page that's collecting email addresses. I think Instagram is a big thing for me in my particular business. I don't really send out a lot of email marketing. I will be, but as of right now, I'm just collecting. And on Instagram, I try to make sure that I'm adding some something on there, you know, regularly so that we continuously see ourselves in positive lights. So even if it's just great pictures of Black people enjoying wine, even if I'm just promoting other brands, other people, other wine educators, and all that stuff in that space, for me, you know, the community is is really important. And I just try to make sure that I stay centered around that. Mm -hmm. And 
where can people find you then if they want to learn about these events? Like what's your Instagram handle, your website, where the lending pages, where can they get in on that? Uh, my Instagram is at the Hue Society, T-H-E-H-U-E Society. And my website is www.thehuesociety.com. I love that it's the same everywhere, which makes it easy for people to find. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So always one question I love to end every single podcast on, and that is, what does freedom mean to you? Freedom for me means community. And you have to look at what community means. I always tell people that we're never going to have our freedom until we have access to our finances. So that is what freedom is, you know, being able to control our hospitals, our churches, our stores, you know, all those things that make a community outside of the people, you know, the the institutions, that's real freedom. When we get there, then, you know, we'll, we'll really be free, but we can't get our freedom until we get our finances. I absolutely love that. And I love all that you're doing with the Hughes Society and the work that you're doing behind the scenes and what Thank you're doing you. with the community. You are amazing, girl. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> Thank you for hopping on the podcast. I can't wait to see what's coming up next because now I'm intrigued with your, we have a landing page with something oh, really yeah. exciting. I feel like <laughs> I have a really, I have really good hunches. So I'm going to ask one question. I don't want to give it away because obviously that's not what you're doing. And I'll talk to you once this turns off, but <laughs> is it a physical product? Not, well, yes, one uh -huh. of them is a physical product. <laughs> One of them is a physical product. Awesome. Thank you so but much. But it's for not a wine. I'm not making a wine. Just, just, <laughs> just putting that out there. <laughs> thank you so much for popping on the podcast. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This was wonderful. Thank you so much. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Tahira. And what's really interesting about this is we recorded this. If it wasn't the end of March, it was the beginning of April-ish. So before George Floyd's death and the whole support black business movement started happening and we touched on a lot of the topics that have been relevant and they're going to continue to be relevant when this dies down and I hope it doesn't die down anytime soon but it's important that we are supporting and creating community and ensuring that we're creating financial stability within those communities we're creating so hope you enjoyed this so I'm going to put the links below for Tahira's Instagram page her personal page as well as the Hugh Society's page and you already know my Instagram's ekenete ga Y and E T E. If you stay through to the end, take a screenshot and let us know on Instagram. And just so you know, Tahira also has a business that has like accessories that are dope. Like she has some really cool earrings. So check her out, check the Hue Society out, and we'll chat next time. Okay, okay, I see you, Freedom Slayer. You stayed through to the end, which tells me that you likely enjoyed this episode. Listen, if you haven't already, do your sister a favor by heading on over to the iTunes store to leave a review for the podcast. It'll help others like you find a benefit from it. And look, it also helps with the rankings. Hashtag transparent AF. I appreciate you. <laughs>